Okay. Uh, welcome again to the, the final night. We've been talking about themes of the kingdom, and uh, I'm not going to do a lot of review. I think we have enough of other things to talk about, but what I would like to do is think about uh, some of the implications of, uh, of the kingdom of heaven being at hand and some of the things that Jesus taught. And we talked earlier about how some of Jesus' teachings are, are quite challenging. I mean, they, they're really challenging. And you don't know what to do with all of them. And so I'm going to look at three different areas where, uh, three different implications, I guess, for the kingdom of heaven, what that could mean for our lives, or how, how it could impact the way we think and the way we live. And the first one is in economics. Uh, I'd like to look at that for a bit and look at some of Jesus' teachings. I don't know if you remember, I said this on one of the first nights, that... Um, Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven than anything else. There's like a hundred and some references to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. By the way, last night, I think I had a little bit of a mix-up in my definition of the, the, what the, ter- the term gospel and what that means. It means the good news, or it means good news. Uh, so good news of what? Good news of the kingdom is what we're talking about. But anyway, um, so Jesus talked more than anything about the kingdom of heaven. A hundred references to that. I didn't go through them and count them, but that's what I've read. Uh, and the second most popular topic was uh, on wealth and money and, and all of that around that topic. And so we'll talk some about that. The second one I'd like to talk about is a people transformed together. Um, sometimes we think Jesus came for me, for us, for, for me as an individual. But I'd like to look at some of that and think of Jesus and his uh, call for people together to follow him. And then lastly, I'd like to look a little bit at missions and think about how seeing the gospel from the kingdom perspective may change the way we think about missions. All right, so I don't know where this is all going to go, but we'll see. Maybe you can help me if we get stuck. Three implications. The first one is economics. Now, Let's start with Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 6. If you have your Bibles, I welcome you. I urge you to open to that. Matthew 6, uh, 19 to 25. Maybe before we read there, what are some of the things that you can think of offhand that Jesus said about money? Some of his teachings. What did he say? Money, wealth. You cannot serve God and mammon. Did you get that? You cannot. Anything else? What else did Jesus say? The root of all all kinds of evil. That's right. Mm -hmm. The love of it. The love of money is the root of all evil. I think some translations would say all kinds of evil. What else does it say? What else did Jesus say? Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Don't what? Uh huh. Don't store up treasure on earth. Don't store up your wealth here. Mm-hmm. Where moth and rust corrupts. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's a little hard to swallow. <laughs> I guess it's hard um, either way. Yeah, that's, inc- that's, that's a bit shocking. Jesus, I, I, doesn't he say one place it's impossible? It's basically impossible for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom. He's, it, it's possible with God, but it's, it's going to take a big, big work of God to, uh, to get a rich person into, into the kingdom. Wow. These are Jesus' words. If you don't like them, I guess you'll have to talk to him. <laughs> what else did he say? There's a lot. There's a lot that Jesus said. Uh, let's just look here. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 25. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. So 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. The word treasures basically means wealth. Uh, what does that mean? What? Uh, <laughs> does this mean that we shouldn't save any money? We shouldn't have a savings account? Uh, what about retirement? What about laying up for retirement? Of course, that has to be okay, right? We, we have to do that. That's our responsibility. Um, but what does it mean? Don't lay up for yourselves wealth on this earth. But he says we should lay up treasure, just not on this earth. We should lay up treasure in heaven. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. He actually gives the reason why we shouldn't do this. And, you know, we, we like to think, oh, I can have wealth but still keep my heart uh, in heaven. <laughs> but Jesus says, that's not, he doesn't say, uh, don't put your heart there. He says, where your treasure is. He's just saying this matter of factly, where your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it is or not, that's where your heart is going to be. I don't know. Um, I, I found in my life that when I have had less, I had less worry about losing things. So when I didn't have much, there wasn't much to lose, so you don't worry too much about it, right? <laughs> um, when you have more, then, then you've got a lot more to worry about. And it's not, you don't sleep better at night, you don't trust God more, you worry more. That's where your heart is, right? Isn't that, I mean, it's just the way it works. Now, this, is a, this has been a difficult one for me to, to know. How do you live this? How do you live out of this teaching? When I was younger, I, uh, I just didn't like the idea of having savings. I mean, Jesus <laughs> didn't make that sound like a very good option here. And my mom's here, so I don't think she'll mind if I say this. She, would, she used to try to get me to put my money into the log cabin fund. Some of you probably remember that. Uh, lots of people were putting money into the log cabin fund and it was giving 9% interest and it was a great investment, great place to put your money and it was a plain person so we could all trust him, right? Uh, I think they say there was $60 million in that fund that was lost. 
that's a lot of lost money, which I think is really, I don't know, I just think that's sad that, that our people threw away $60 million that we could have invested if we would have maybe been more true to Jesus' teachings. I'm sure some people had good intentions and were not, you know, <laughs> trying to lay it up for themselves, probably not. Um, I didn't listen on my mother in that situation, uh, and I was, I don't know, I don't really say that proudly, but I, I, uh, uh, I gave it away, and, and I, my mom used to say I should have $20,000 when I, when I uh, get married, and I traveled a lot and was in lo- involved in a lot of different outreach locally here in Lancaster and traveling here and there. And somehow when I got married, I had $20,000. Um, and I don't know how that happened, except I guess I was working and probably my dad was rich. And so <laughs> um, and maybe it was just God working. Um, God, I, I really felt like it was God, you know, meeting our needs. One thing I want to point out here, and I never thought of this until recently, actually. This is, somebody mentioned this here at church, and I really thought, wow, this is an insight I never saw before. It says here, lay not up for yourselves treasure. Um, maybe you can have, you can lay it up for someone else. Uh, maybe there's a reason to save if you're saving it for buying a house for a poor person so they have a place to live. Or if you're uh, helping a brother in the church who doesn't have enough and you give it to them. I don't know. I, I, just, I think it's some really serious words that Jesus gives us here. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's, oh, that's a good question. Somebody have any ideas? How do we have treasures in heaven? Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. I'll talk about that a little later, I think, but I think sometimes we, I think one way is to give your money away, but I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be better off or if we wouldn't build the kingdom faster or stronger, better, quicker, if we would invest our lives into the lives of people. Sometimes we, we like to work really hard and make a lot of money and then give, and then we think we're generous, <laughs> and everybody else thinks we're good because they, we keep the missions going, and Jesus, you know, remember the story about Jesus? Uh, he, he was watching the people put money in the treasury. And there was people, rich people giving a lot of money. And then this poor widow came and she gave two mites, two pennies. It was worthless to us. We wouldn't have kept the missions going for very long. Um, and Jesus was more impressed with the woman who gave two mites than the person who gave big, big amounts. And I, I don't know, that's such a... You know, we, we talked earlier about repentance and how the kingdom of heaven works on such different wavelengths or thinking patterns. And I think that's one of those. Jesus just gives, gives us such different perspectives. Uh, anyway, I could go on and on about that, but I think maybe that's enough. You cannot serve God and mammon. Where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. I think we should think, try to think creatively. How can we invest the extra that God gives us to build his kingdom? And I'm not saying just give it to some, give it to Cam or give it to some mission organization, but, but what could we do? How could we build our lives around kingdom building more intentionally? All right, now I'm going to go to Luke 3. This chapter, this, this scripture is, I think, really 
amazing, <laughs> really exciting. I, uh, I didn't come up with this myself, I didn't, uh, but I was listening to a speaker at Faith Builders once, and he shared this, and it really impacted me. It really made me think about a vision for economics that could look different, more kingdom-centered. So it's the, it's, it's the, the setting here is John the Baptist preaching and preparing the way of the Lord. And verse 3 says, He came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. How do we make his path straight? And then he says, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. So John is preparing the way of the Lord, making the crooked places straight. This is, how he's, this is what he's saying should happen. The, the, the rough places should become plain, smooth. The mountains should come down. The valleys should, should be exalted. All, and when this happens, then it says, all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now, how many of us would be happy if all flesh would see the salvation of God? Wouldn't that be amazing? If all flesh could see the salvation of God? Well, here he says this, this is how it works. This is how it happens. That would be amazing if all flesh could see the salvation of God. And then, at, right after this, the people come and say, what are we supposed to do? How does this happen? What's going on here? And, and he gives them three economic lessons. Three lessons in economics. And let's look what they are. Then the multitude, in verse 7, uh, that came forth to be baptized of him, then said he to the multitude, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And then I'm going to skip on to verse uh, 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. So the one economic lesson is give 50% of what you have. If you have something extra, give it away. Then came the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto, him, unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. So basically, don't overcharge. Don't charge more than what your services are worth. Or don't, uh, don't take more than what you deserve, than what belongs to you. The soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. <clears throat> There's three economic lessons. Now let's go back to the... Uh, the idea of lowering the mountains and raising the valleys, making the crooked places straight. So the speaker that I was listening to at Faith Builders, his name was Melvin Lehman, he said he thinks that Jesus came to narrow the economic divide between people and to bring down the mountains, to raise up the valleys of economic divide. And when this happens, all flesh We'll see his salvation. So again, I want, to, I, want to, I want us to think about what are some ways that this could happen? I think we should think, what, what are ways that we could help to narrow the divide between people, the things that divide people?
I uh, have a little bit of a bone to pick with plain people who uh, come into Lancaster and buy houses because it's an investment and they want to make extra money or whatever. Uh, we live there, right? And we, we're trying to uh, spread the good news because we think the kingdom of heaven is here and we'd like others to see that. And we're trying to find ways to do that. Uh, but then we have people from, our, from the Amish people, from our own people who come in there and they'll buy a house. Uh, and their aim is to make as much money as possible. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing this for an investment because they, they've been blessed and they think now they can use that blessing uh, to, to, to rent to poor people who can hardly afford to pay their rent. Um, and that, I don't know. And, and what's really sad to me about that, uh, I had one guy tell me that when they started, they, wanted, they were hoping to be a, a, a testimony to the people that they work with, to the people that they rent to. But he said, we, we gave up on that. Basically, it didn't work. Uh, and I'm thinking, if, if you can't bring Jesus into your occupation, maybe you should find another one. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I, I just... So I, I think about these people. Okay, I, I look at us. We have so much opportunity. We have incredible opportunity. We've been blessed beyond measure. Like, we... we we have, my, like I think my dad, he taught me in, so much about how to live life and how to work and how to make money and how to work hard. And through that, I've been blessed incredibly. Um, but why, why do we then think, okay, I've been blessed, now I get to uh, increase that blessing by sometimes taking advantage of others? What if we would rather buy a house and rent it for less than market value? Or what if we would do something where we buy a house and we, we do rent to own, where we help someone else own their own home rather than continue to fill our own pockets? This is just one example. Um, what if we started to think about our businesses as opportunities to, to build the kingdom? I've uh, tried hard to get our people to hire refugees to work in their businesses. And it's just been really interesting to hear the excuses of even the most mission-minded people. Like, we have, there's, there's people that, there's, they're very mission-minded, they'll travel around the world to do missions, but they won't hire someone into their business here because it's not practical. Uh, it, would, it would, you know, and there's always some reason why it wouldn't work. So anyway, uh, I, that's connected to mission as well. So what if we thought of new ways to uh, use wealth the blessings that God has given us, not for ourselves, not to lay up treasure for ourselves, but to be a blessing and to bring down the valleys and to raise the, or bring down the mountains, raise the valleys, make the crooked places straight. And maybe through that, all flesh could be able to see, at least some of flesh, some people could see the salvation of God. We've been attempting to do some of this in, with my marketing business in Lancaster. And it's been very interesting to, to see how how this has opened so many doors to, to speak of Christ. And, you know, we're not doing this to, we're doing this because we love Jesus and we believe his kingdom is here and is at hand and we want to we wanna live that out. I'm taking too much time on this one. Uh, but I guess Jesus took a lot of time to talk about this as well. So, again, Jesus spoke extensively about wealth and never very positively. And so I think uh, 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it look like to have extra, to have more than we need and, and, and use that in a kingdom building kind of way? All right, second, I'd like to talk about a people. So I think one of the other implications is that a, a people. So God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it includes uh, God calling out a people for himself. Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the word church is ecclesia. It is a gathering. It is a congregation. It is an assembly. It's not an individual. The church is a people. And I think Jesus uh, came to call out a people, uh, a people who are transformed. And we've talked about that a lot this week, that Jesus came to change. He came to save. And the word save, remember we, we said the word save means to make whole, to, to be uh, complete, sort of, uh, and somewhat related to the, the, uh, the Jewish idea of shalom, wholeness, completeness, not just in the heart, but a, a whole new life that Jesus came to bring, a transformation of everything. I think that uh, good works get a lot of bad rap in the church today. Um, in Christianity today. Some of the things that Jesus said about this don't seem to fit with how we often talk about good works. Remember the song we sing that says, the wise man built his house upon the rock? Uh, and Jesus said this, right? He said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Uh, but, but what does that represent? What, the, the wise man, was, what does it represent? What, what did Jesus say about that? Somebody tell me. I'm talking too much. They that hear the word and do it. They hear the word and put it into practice, right? Those are the, those are the people whose houses will not fall. Um, and in the song it says, so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't quite follow uh, what Jesus actually said there. Uh, but <clears throat> so Jesus, I think Jesus' way of talking about these things sometimes is different than, than what we talk about it. Remember the... There's also this story or the, the, the scene at the end of the world when Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. And if you read that, it's clearly tied to their good works, to what they did. Another scripture says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Faith without works is dead. Um, and again, the whole, the very idea of being saved is, is the idea of being made whole, of being transformed. Uh, that is what Jesus came to do. So Jesus came to save to, for a people who are transformed. And he came for people who are transformed together. Uh, so, I don't know. Our, our world today is so individualistic, and, and we are affected by that a lot, more and more probably. Uh, but Jesus came for a people, uh, to, a people who are transformed by the power of Christ uh, together. I'm going to just see if I have time here. I'm going to illustrate a little bit. I, I, I got this illustration from... Uh, a class that I took once, but then it actually comes from a scholar by the name of Robert Friedman, who was 
uh, a Jewish man who studied, he had fought in one of the world wars, I think, and he started studying Anabaptism and uh, studied it very, very in depth and, and wrote some, some books about Anabaptist theology. And he talks about the different views of church and how different groups see uh, the church. And so I'm going to see if I can illustrate that a little bit here. Uh, by, so the triangle here uh, illustrates God. And there is the Catholic view of how one approaches God or how one relates to God. And then there's the Protestant and then there's the Anabaptist view. If I can get that in there. And he says that Catholics tend to believe that they come to God through the clergy or through the, uh, the priesthood. And so the people reach God through the clergy. Um, Protestants, on the other hand, have this view that they have the, that, that there's a direct connection. It's just me and God. Uh, <clears throat> but as Anabaptist people, we have understood that we are a brotherhood and we come together to experience the Father. It is a communal experience. It is a people serving God together. Uh, that, is, that has been our, our history, I guess, of how we, how we walk and how we uh, approach God. That's a little scribbly, but I hope that makes a little sense. So Jesus, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is a people transformed together, uh, and, and that, that is what God wants to do in our lives or in our communities. All right. I'd like to spend a little bit of time yet talking about missions, because I have a lot of interest in, in uh, bringing other people into the kingdom. And how do we, how do, we do that? I said earlier, that, <clears throat> earlier this week that oftentimes when we, when we learn about God or about the faith, we're reading Protestant materials, we're reading other sources than our, than, than, uh, we're not reading sources from our own people. Uh, we're reading Protestant sources, and, and, and they are giving us a different mindset, a different understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, we, I, I said we live out of one paradigm and we learn out of another. So when we when we try to figure out how to live, we sit together as, as in a men's meeting and we say, okay, what does it mean? How do we do this? You know? <laughs> and we go back and forth and we might argue, we might disagree, uh, but we, uh, come to the, we come to some conclusions and then there's this thing called submission and we, we do it together. We're a people together, right? Um, this is how we live. But then we try to do missions and we try to explain the gospel to someone else and we learn uh, the Protestant line. Um, so how do you get saved? Well, you pray this prayer and then you get saved. You know, uh, you ask Jesus into your heart. Uh, but I don't know how to, talk, how to explain all of this because I'm just, I'm really processing these things and thinking about it a lot. 
I recently wrote a paper um, working on my master's degree, and one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about is what, what is the difference? How do, we, how do we as Anabaptists think about mission in a way that makes sense with who we are? So I think we have a way, but then when we do mission, we, we, get, we grab onto another way because we haven't really maybe thought about it enough. How does mission look from our own perspective? I've told this story several times here before, but I, I love the story of my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa who came into the Amish church by employment in an Amish family. He saw how they lived, and he said, I, I like this. I want to be a part of this. And then he married an Amish girl, and that's, that, was, uh, that was the Stolzfus side. But how do... So, okay, remember we talked about that, that uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent. Think differently, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, so part of, of following Jesus is getting a new thinking pattern, right? New thinking, new ways of, of, of looking at everything. <clears throat> so that, that is, it, it's part of transformation. It's part of becoming a new person. So how does that happen? How do we... How do we lead people into that repentance? How do we get their thinking to change? You must be born again. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's certainly a step in, in, in that, I think. Mm -hmm. I think of what Jesus said at the end when he was leaving. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. Tell the good news of Jesus' kingdom and then baptize people. Uh, and then he says, you should teach them to observe all things. I think it's part of that, that new thinking. That you know, Sometimes we think when we get, we get him baptized, when we get him uh, to pray the prayer, we get him saved in the more born-again experience type thing, that then, then they're saved and now we're good. We, we can now check that off. We've done our job, right? We, I, I really, um, sometimes we go on missions trips or we hear these, these uh, uh, reports of missions trips. People come back and they're like, oh, a whole bunch of people got saved. And what, what does that mean anyway? What do they mean? Like, was somebody's life really transformed that much that you could tell they were saved? Or, or what, you know? Uh, but, but what is it... What does it look like to do mission um, in a way that leads people to real transformation? How did you learn that? Maybe. How did, how did we learn to live, to be transformed? I'm sure we're still working on it. How do we, how do we experience that? See, sometimes we think that if we do a weekly Bible study, that's, that's all it's going to take to get somebody saved. Weekly Bible studies are great, okay? But I think maybe, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know where all this belongs yet, but I think as a people, we should be thinking about how to do mission in a way that, is, that aligns with our, our way, with our tradition, with the way that we see uh, the world, the way that we see the kingdom, the way that we see what it means to be a Christian. How do we help people into new thinking? 
I don't have many answers. I'm still tr working through this, trying to understand. Uh, one thing we've done, I have, I've been employing people uh, who know little about the gospel. One man that, that has worked for me came and knew barely anything, probably not, about the gospel. Comes from a people group where 99.6% of the people are, are Muslim. And uh, so for the last three years, we've talked a lot about Jesus. <laughs> we've talked a lot about Jesus. Every Monday morning we have, this, we have a scripture and we talk about what it means to, 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 to build our lives around Jesus and his kingdom. <clears throat> and that's been our attempt, I guess, to, to uh, not just have a weekly Bible study, but to live a life that shows other people what it means to follow Jesus. Um, anyway, missions. There's some implications here. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it should impact the way we think about mission. And we don't just want to be calling people to some superficial experience and then they go live like they did before. You know, We want to be calling people to transformation. And I think this kind of goes back somewhat to that idea of economics. If we... <clears throat> If we think in our, that we've done our job and we've sent the check off uh, and we're not engaging with the people around us, uh, I don't think we're going to have much of an impact. I wonder what would happen if we would give less but give more of ourselves to the people who need that transformation. I think we could probably be further ahead in terms of building the kingdom if we gave less but gave more of ourselves and built our lives in ways that people would see who Jesus is. They would see it by our lives. They would see that we are a people who love Jesus and, want, and, and they would come to understand that. Um, I had to think about the, con the Jewish concept of being a disciple when Jesus called his disciples to follow him there was actually a, a, an, a model in that culture of a rabbi having disciples. And the rabbi would call young men to follow him. And these men were called to follow the rabbi. But the goal of the rabbi was not just to teach them knowledge, but to teach them how to walk, how to live. Uh, and that's what Jesus did. He, taught, he walked with his disciples for three years, and he taught them what it looks like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I think that's a great model. Jesus' model was to walk with people day by day by day. And through that, uh, they still didn't get it. <laughs> but then finally, the Holy Spirit came and transformed them. And they had that framework, I think, to, to be able to, to live out of what Jesus had taught them. So we talked about economics, about a people together transformed and about missions, I think there's a lot of implications here for our lives. And I just hope that, I hope something that we said this week can challenge us, encourage us, inspire us to live our lives more intentionally. Maybe you're already doing it, and you can teach me a lot of things, I'm sure. Uh, <clears throat> but live more intentionally with a kingdom focus. I want to just end with this quote. I thought this was, a, it was uh, from Kenneth Bailey. The spiritually minded person does not differ from the materially minded person chiefly in thinking about different things. 
but in thinking about the same things differently. It is possible to think materially about God and spiritually about food. I just think that's kind of a, a deep, good thought for us to think about. So the spiritually minded person does not differ from the materially minded person chiefly in thinking about different things, but in thinking about the same things differently. It is possible to think materially about God and spiritually about food.